Have you ever felt down and out? Down and out. Maybe you've been through some periods in your life where you've been so discouraged you didn't even know what to do or where to turn. Maybe you felt fatigue or fear or frustration or maybe some other emotion that contributed to your feeling down and out. And maybe people around you counted you out. Maybe people around you said uh, they'll never achieve this or they'll never do anything with their life or they can never change or things could never be different from them. Today I'm kicking off a brand new series called Cinderella Stories. It's all about the underdogs of the Bible. And it's interesting because scripture has so much to say to us about being down and out. It has a lot to say to us about being the underdog the person that everybody has maybe forgotten about or, or the person that has been overlooked in many regards. If you look through scripture, you find uh, David on the field of battle with Goliath. Nobody ever thought that David had a shot to defeat Goliath. And yet the shepherd boy took down the nine-foot monster. Uh, Daniel's friends over in the book of Daniel were thrown into the fiery furnace. They were Hebrew uh, boys in the land of Babylon. They didn't want to worship the God, the gods of the Babylonians. And, and nobody thought that anything good would come out of that fiery furnace. And yet they were victorious. It's a great Cinderella story. Even the gospel story of Jesus Christ is a Cinderella story. I mean, it was Jesus that was born to an unwed teenage mother and lived in a little bitty town called Nazareth that no one had ever heard of, and nobody expected much from him, and he became the Savior of the world. Amen? So today we're going to begin this spiritual journey looking at some of the wonderful Cinderella stories of the Bible. And uh, I was thinking this, this week, I had the opportunity to see um, the, the Kurt Warner movie, American Underdog. Anybody seen that recently? What a great movie. Somebody's proud over here. They're like, I saw it. Yes. What a great movie. I don't cry at movies, but man, that one got to me. I mean, I was like, whoa. Kurt Warner is the quarterback from Northern Iowa. He plays for a 1AA school that most people have never heard of. He He's overlooked his whole college career. I think he finally becomes a starter as a senior. Um, he thinks he's got a, a shot at the NFL draft. Nobody even considers him. After he's de so de depressed that he didn't get drafted, he calls every NFL team and asks for a tryout. Nobody gives him the time of day. He's stocking the shelves at the local grocery store, making $5.50 an hour. And uh, somebody approaches him about playing in the Arena Football League, and he's not too enthusiastic about it, but he didn't have a better offer, so he becomes the quarterback of the Iowa Barnstormers. They play football games in a rodeo arena. They practice in an Iowa cornfield that is surrounded by hay bales that kind of simulates the arena environment. I mean, there's nothing sexy about it. And he does such a great job that the uh, St. Louis Rams ask him to come and try out. He makes the team as a backup early in the season. The starting quarterback, Trent Green, gets injured. Warner comes in uh, off the bench. Nobody really thinks he's going to do much, and the Rams win the Super Bowl. I mean, for crying out loud. It's like 
the coolest story. And Warner goes on and he becomes an MVP and plays in three Super Bowls with two different teams. And he really is the American underdog. It's really a beautiful story. I, I find a lot of hope in that story because I see stories like that littered all the way through the Bible. There's people that were always overlooked, the people that were always discounted, people that nobody thought much would come from their life, and they did great things for God. And I, I think it brings a lot of hope and encouragement into our own existence today. Would you turn with me today in your Bible to the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke? It's a little known story. It's a gospel story that many people probably are not thinking about today related to the American underdog, but I want to tell you the story of a widow who lost her son. Look, at, look with me, if you would, in Luke 7, 11. Uh, afterwards, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him, and just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out, and he was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was also with her, and when the Lord saw her... He had compassion on her and he said, don't weep. And then he came up and touched the open coffin and the pallbearers stopped and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother and then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people and this report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Everybody thought it was all over for this boy and his widowed mother. And yet Jesus intervened in a great, in a great, in a beautiful way. And I want to give you four reasons why you should keep getting up. Four reasons why you should keep getting up. Take your notes out and you can follow along with me this morning. Now, this mom had a double whammy. I mean, number one, she was a widow, okay? And women in the ancient world did not really work and have careers. So she's a woman in need. And, and usually a woman was taken care of by her oldest son or by her sons. And, and it appears that this is the only son she's got. And now he's dead. So she's, she doesn't have a husband and she doesn't have a son. And things are bad. And there's a funeral procession that's coming through the little town of Nain. Nain is a very small place. They probably didn't even have a stoplight or a Dairy Queen or anything there in the town of Nain. Um, it's the only time that the, the town of Nain is mentioned in the Gospels is right here. It, it is a place that is extremely insignificant. Jesus just happens to be coming through the town at the same time that the funeral procession is happening, and Jesus has an entourage because there's a group of people that are mesmerized by the teachings of Jesus. They've seen his miracles. They've heard the profound things that he said, and so they're following Jesus around, and as Jesus is moving with his crowd, it, it, they kind of run into the funeral procession, and, and there are professional wailers uh, that were hired at, at the time of death. So they would pay people to cry and to, you know, bemoan and to carry on. And this was supposed to help people grieve with the loss of their loved one. There were flutes, there were tambourines. The whole town was mourning with this lady. It was dramatic. 
it was something that was unavoidable. And it's almost like, you know, Jesus is coming down the street this way and the funeral procession is coming this way and they kind of run into each other. And Jesus takes the, takes the opportunity to turn and to touch this coffin and address this woman. So here's four things I want us to see today about, about this Cinderella story. And we should keep getting up, number one, because Jesus is full of compassion. And Jesus is full of compassion. Now, we could talk a lot, of, a lot about the ministry of Jesus, but one of the most profound and one of the most distinguishing aspects of Jesus' ministry is he was often moved with compassion. And so Jesus responds to this woman with love. He's concerned for her. Uh, look at it again there in uh, Luke 7, beginning of verse 11. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd was traveling with him. And uh, just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out, and he was his mother's only son. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was also with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said, Don't cry. So he's, he's showing compassion um, to, this, to this woman. Um, she's, she's, she's alone. She's hurting. And, and I love this part of the ministry of Jesus, Jesus' compassion, because the, the, the idea about God of the ancient world, especially in the time of the Roman Empire, was Stoicism. Most people thought of God from a Stoic, a stoic perspective, which said that God is apathetic towards people. And many people believe that. And yet when Jesus shows up on the scene, he begins to express something about God that many people had never considered. And that was his compassion. It, it was in Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 40 to 41, that Jesus came into contact with a leprous man. And uh, it says, Then a man came with leprosy uh, to him on his knees and begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. And so here's another example of the compassion of Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus touching people, healing people, encouraging people, blessing people, and his motivation is compassion. So today, as you're hurting, as you're struggling... Um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the compassion that he had on people 2,000 years ago is the compassion that he has on your life today. I want you to know Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus, Jesus has concern for you. Jesus feels the pain that you have felt. In fact, Scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he was without sin. So he, he knows what you're going through. He knows the trials. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he's one that we can constantly turn to because his heart is always for good and always bent towards compassion. But there's also a second thing. Jesus also is not just full of compassion. Jesus is also full of assurances. And you notice he says to the woman, what? He, he, he says, listen, don't cry. Don't cry. Now, you, you could read that and you could say, well, Jesus is kind of insensitive, right? I mean, like, I mean, come on. The son is dead and she doesn't have her husband and she's grieving. And, and most of us would say it's normal to cry at a funeral. Amen. I buried my grandmother uh, a few weeks ago. 
and and there were tears and and that's that's pretty normal but why did Jesus say don't weep because Jesus knew he was about to do something that was great in fact this word in the language of the New Testament is translated don't keep on weeping like don't keep on crying you know when you go through pain in your life sometimes you cry today and you cry tomorrow and you cry next week and next month and next year because you're hurt. And Jesus says, don't keep on crying because I'm about to do something that is amazing. In other words, you should raise your expectations as to what God is about to do in your life. You know, I want to say to you today, don't listen, don't cry anymore. God is about to do something great. God is about to do something magnificent. And Jesus says, listen, raise your expectations. Now, I don't know if the woman actually felt this way. She probably didn't. She probably thought, well, you know, come on, my son died. Of course I'm supposed to cry. But Jesus was saying, I'm about to do something that is literally going to blow your mind. You see, when it comes to our faith life, we ought to be raising our expectations. Sometimes when we get down and discouraged, we, we lower our expectations. Our expectations for God are sometimes way down here. And what would it begin to do in our faith life when we begin to raise the bar? We begin to raise our expectations to the things that God may do in our lives. And so he says, don't stop crying about your disappointments Stop crying about your frustrations. Stop crying about, your, about your, your mistakes, your hurts. Stop crying. Jesus is also saying, listen, believe that impossible things can become possible. Do you see it? You see, in our faith life, God wants to move us to the point where we believe that impossible things can become possible. Because with God, all things are possible. Amen. All things are possible with God. I mean, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Luke chapter 5 when the paralytic is brought to Jesus by his friends. And the friends go and pick the man up and they're like, you're going to Jesus. And he's like, I don't want to go to Jesus. And they're like, no, you're going to go to Jesus. Get on the stretcher. So they put him on the stretcher and they get to the front door of the little house where Jesus is teaching and, and there's too many people around and they can't get to Jesus. And so what do the friends do? Well, they go up to the, to the rooftop and they begin to remove the, the, the wood and the mud and, and the other materials there constructing the roof and they lower their friend down to Jesus because they believed that impossible things could become Possible. The impossible can become possible. The woman with the, with the issue of blood uh, in Mark chapter 5 details, the woman's been bleeding for 12 years. I mean, 12 years. She'd been to all the doctors. Nobody could help her. Nobody knew what to say. She's depressed. She's discouraged. She finds out Jesus is in town. And scripture tells us that she touches the hem of his garment and, and, and the moment that she reaches out her hand and just touches that little thread, the power of Jesus comes out 
of Jesus's body onto her. And she's remarkably healed because she believed that impossible things could become possible. Oh, Jesus says, listen, stop crying. Raise the bar. Live with great expectation because God is not finished yet. Listen, you may be crying to die today, but if you will trust God, if you will walk with God, you will smile tomorrow and you'll believe that the impossible can become possible. We have many assurances throughout scripture. They're called the promises of God. Over in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, we have an assurance that we're never alone. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's assurances about prayer in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I mean, today we have assurances from God that God hears our prayers. We have assurances of spiritual guidance. Romans 8, 14, for all those who are led by, the, by God's spirit are the sons of God. God has given us the precious Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in our own lives, in our own choices, in our own uh, determinations, and we have the assurance of the spiritual guidance. So Jesus is full of assurances. And listen, the reason that Jesus is full of so many assurances is because Jesus is full of so much power. I mean, he's, he's filled with power. His power is amazing. His power. His power may be all that you've got. Over in Luke chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, look at it again. Then he came up and he touched the open coffin and the pallbearers stopped and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus is full of power. Now, I love this miracle because sometimes you think that you know how a story is going to go, like in the Bible. Have you ever read a story before like that? And you're like, okay, I know what's going to happen. This is the way we would have wrote the story. The woman in the funeral procession is coming down the street. She sees Jesus. She runs and falls down before him and begs him to heal her son. And then Jesus goes over and resurrects the boy. That's the way we would have, that's the way at least I would have written the story. That's not what happened. The woman doesn't ask anything of Jesus. The woman is down and out. Jesus initiates contact with her. Do you see it? Jesus went and found her. She didn't come and find Jesus. Now, in other passages of the scripture, Jesus commends people for their faith. And faith is always good. And there's no doubt that faith makes a difference. But in this example, this woman didn't even have any faith. <laughs> Jesus went and found her. Just think about that for just a minute. I mean, Jesus went and sought her out. He said, young man, I tell you, arise. I mean, this shows the divinity of Jesus. Now, check this out. In, in the case of Elisha and Elijah, the, the two prophets that raised dead people in the Old Testament, in each, in, 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 in each instance, 
Those resurrections occurred around the prophets asking God to raise those individuals. When Jesus raises this boy, Jesus does not ask permission. Jesus commands it to be done. Why? Because he's God. Jesus doesn't have to ask permission. Jesus says, get up, boy. In John chapter 11, when Jesus raises Lazarus, Jesus doesn't ask permission. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And listen, if he had not said Lazarus, we have to believe that the entire cemetery would have erupted. Amen? I mean, Jesus does not have to ask permission. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus raises the daughter of Jairus. It's the same thing. Jesus just commands it. And it begins to happen. He doesn't have to ask permission. (laughs) But the mother did not ask Jesus for this miracle. And here's what I think we should take away from this. We should spend less time trying to get God to do what we want and more time trying to decide what God wants to do. Like, think about it. How many times do we have, like, we have a prayer list, we have a punch list for God, and we're so determined that God needs to do these five things. And there may be some things on the list that God absolutely wants to do. But a lot of times we get so focused on the things that we want God to do that sometimes we're not listening to the things that God wants to do. What if we would reorient our life? What if we begin to say, Jesus, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to be about, whatever you want me to say, God, whatever career path, whatever, whatever direction you want to lead my family, Lord, I want to know what you want to do instead of me telling you what you should do. This woman is just in the hands of Jesus. And Jesus says, son, get up, get up. There's, there's power. Jesus has power over our destiny. Do you believe it? The revelation says in chapter three, verse seven, Write to the angel of the church at Philadelphia, thus says the Holy One, the one true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works, Lord. uh, Look, I have placed a door before you that no one can close. What that Bible passage means is that God opens doors that nobody can open, and God closes doors that nobody can open. And when God closes a door, we shouldn't try to kick it open. (laughs) When God opens a door, we should run through it. Amen? And so the woman illustrates for us something beautiful, something powerful. She's just a person in need. And Jesus is aware of her need. And Jesus comes up with the solution. She says nothing. She requests nothing from Jesus. And Jesus has power over our destiny. Jesus also has power over our eternity. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, He made you alive, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is a picture of the gospel. We were dead in our own sins, and Jesus raised us in and through our faith. We, we received a new life. The Christian life it is a resurrected life. It's, it's, it's understanding that the old life is dead and gone and that the new life has come. 
And this boy illustrates this. So Jesus is full of power. But you know, finally, Jesus is full of help. Jesus is full of help. Now, where do we turn when we need help? How many of us would say Google? Anybody? (laughs) Google is a good help, is it not? How about YouTube? You got a question? I'm going to look on YouTube, right? I needed directions the other day. I looked up directions. I went to Google and I looked up some directions. Um, I'm I'm so impressed with my wife. Um, Not only is she a great singer, but my wife is just like, she's so talented. The other day, um, we we needed to, to, we had the upholstery on on the console of her car had been ripped. And she was like, I'm going to look that up on YouTube. And she ordered some kit and... After about an hour of looking at the video and working on the car, she had reupholstered the console of her car. And guys, it looked like it came from the dealership. I was so impressed. I was like, how in the world? If I would have done it, there would have been air bubbles all over the place. It would have been crooked. It would have been a mess. I said, how did you do that? She was like, I watched the YouTube video. I'm like, you can do that? She's like, yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, wow. (laughs) Jesus is full of help. What if we look to Jesus more than we look to YouTube, Google, Pinterest, or any other sources of knowledge? You know, we want to teach our kids to be dependent upon Jesus. Right, parents? Amen? A few years ago, my kids were smaller. My little boy was really into Transformers. And his big cousin got him hooked on on those little toys, and and the the arm of the transformer had was missing, and Zane was screaming bloody murder. I mean, you know, you don't want to mess with a preschooler when they can't find their toy, like you can't reason with them, right? I mean, he is flipping out, he's crying, he's screaming, he's so upset. It's the the, the arm of the transformer ejected off. Where is it? And Gina's like, well. Zane, let us, let's pray about it. I'm like, you got to be a really spiritual mom to pray in a moment like that. I'm like, okay. So Gina gets Zane, and they pray together, Lord, let us find the arm of the transformer. And Jesus is saying, listen, Jesus, you better back me up. Don't, let me, don't leave me hanging, Jesus. Come on. So they pray, and then Jesus, Jesus Gina goes out to the car, And she looks, and she pulls the floor mat out, and she looks under the seat, and there's the arm. And she's like, yes. So she went back to Zane, and she says, see, Jesus is our helper. You know? Did you know that God cares about the things that you care about? Do you believe that? I mean, he really, like, the little things, like... I don't know if you've ever been about to pray about something. You're like, I don't want to pray about that because that's too small. Listen, if it matters to you, it matters to God. You ought to talk to God about it. Jesus is your helper. And for some of us, he's all the help you've got. You don't have any other options. Amen? I told somebody this week, I said, listen, God is all you've got. You tried everything else. It didn't work. Jesus is our helper. Jesus is our help. Now I want you to look in verse 16 and 17 because this is where this whole scripture comes together. They were all filled with awe and praise God. Okay, listen, when God does something great, we ought to celebrate. Amen? 
A great prophet has appeared among us. They say God has come to his people. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, let me put this in context for us. At the end of the Old Testament, the reason the Old Testament ended because there was no prophets. There's a 400-year hiatus between the beginning of the new and the end of the old. During that time, the people of God did not hear from the Lord. There was no word from God. And people thought that God had abandoned them. The reason that people are so enthusiastic at this miracle is because the Jewish people are starting to see that God has not forsaken them. The Messiah that had been promised in the old has now come in the new. And the years of silence, the years of we don't know what's going on with God, all those things start to fade away. And people say, Jesus is what? Well, God has come to help his people. That was the response of the individuals. God has come to help us. Now see, a lot of times when we look at Jesus, we see Jesus as a religious figure, especially around Christmas and Easter. We admire Jesus. We put Jesus on a high shelf. We have a picture of Jesus in our home. We, we admire Jesus. We respect Jesus. We, we think he was a good teacher. We think he did good things. Many people see him as the savior of the world. That's all good. But listen, I want you to also see something else. Jesus is your help. Jesus is not just like a religious deity that we kind of look at and go, man, Jesus, what a, what a great guy. No, he wants to be involved in your life. He cares for you. He's not just some religious leader. Like he wants to be involved in the details of your life. And so when people saw Jesus resurrect the boy, the response was, God has come to help us. Do you believe that about God? God is not just a distant deity. God wants to help you. God wants to lead you. God wants to bless you. That's why Jesus was always using the I am statements in, in the New Testament. Like one time Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And in other words, he's the one that provides guidance to us. Amen. Another time Jesus said, I am the bread of life because he's the one who was the sustainer of physical and spiritual life. I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. He's the protector of the flock. God is our protector. God is our guider. God is our sustainer. He said, I'm the true vine. And if you stay attached to me, you'll bear much fruit, just like a fruit, just like a grape has to stay connected to a vine to be fruitful. When we're connected to the vine, the life of Jesus flows through us. And we have a resurrected life. We have a new life. We have a, a life of power and a life of presence. Man, Jesus is our help. That's why he was called Emmanuel. Over there in Luke chapter 7, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the prophet said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See the virgin will conceive, have a son, and will name him Emmanuel. And do you know what the word Emmanuel means? It means God is with us. In other words, like God is my help. This is one of the names of Jesus. So Jesus wants to help you. Now names say a lot about people, don't they? 
I mean, think about that. A few years ago, we were, we were kind of in the childbearing stage of life. And we were like, what are we going to name our kids? And Gina bought some of those books, you know, you can look through. And I said, she had picked out some kind of some far out names. And I said, honey, listen, one criteria is we cannot have a name that gets our kid beat up on the playground. Okay. I was like, please. Because I had a friend that was, his name was Maurice Theodore Harrison. Okay. And Maurice Theodore was constantly ridiculed for his name, as you can imagine. Okay. So in the book, there's different sections and has all the lists of the names. And then it had like one section. If you want your kid to be a truck driver, use these names. I was like, awesome. What are the truck driver names? They were Mo, Norm, Ralph, or my favorite, Bubba. Okay. If you have a daughter and you think she might need to drive the big rigs, you go with Harriet or Flo. Okay. If you want your kid to be a CFO, you might go with Winston, Donald, or Nolan. If you want your kid to be in the Chicago mob, you should consider Freddie, Tony, or Vito. I like that. V-I-T-O. That's a good one, isn't it? Well, names say a lot about people. Maybe you were named after somebody or your parents had some experience or some thought and they named you that particular thing. Names have a meaning. Listen, the names of Jesus have a meaning. Jesus' names are many. He's not just named Jesus. He's called Emmanuel. He's called a whole lot of other names because Jesus was too profound to have his, his deity and his divinity expressed in one name. So, so, so he's got a lot of names. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the Wonderful Counselor. He, he, he's so many other things. But, but for this morning, he, he, he's Emmanuel, God who is with us. And he's with us because he wants to help us in our time of need. So listen, the reason that you're not down and out is because you got Emmanuel who's with you. And that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in a time of need. God is the one who is with us. And when we feel down and out, we got to remember Jesus is full of compassion. He really knows what we're going through. Jesus is full of assurances. Jesus says, don't cry anymore. Jesus is full of power. He's still raising things that we think are dead. And Jesus is full of help. And today God is writing your Cinderella story. If you'll come to him, and trust him. Would you pray with me for just a moment?